In the Pocket, a talk show where people of color who are creatives are able to share their narrative behind the art. And you were listening to In the Pocket with your host, Flo Edwards, and our guest, Veronica Perez, an author, a sculptor, a mixed media artist. Please introduce yourself. Sure. My name is uh, Veronica Perez, and I'm an artist and, I guess, community organizer in Maine, Portland, Maine. What are some of your recent projects that you're really excited about? Uh, One of the recent projects I actually just did uh, opened last night. Um, It is an art show called Praying to a Porcelain God. It opened uh, in Biddeford um, uh, at Project Immersive. Um, And it's all of these sculptures that I made during quarantine. Um, As an artist, I, you know, we talked a little bit about my art having that overlap of um, having a little bit of a political edge to it, which I I really enjoy, you know, being able to talk about that in my artwork. It's really freeing. Um, And so this time, um, all the sculptures that I made, I made in the bathroom um, because it was like the only space available to me. Um, You know, as an artist, I don't make a lot of money, so it's really hard for me to afford a studio space. Um, So the safest place for me to work, I have a a small daughter, um, you know, and they tend to get into things. So the safest place for me to work is shutting the bathroom door and putting a fan on because I work with a lot of caustic materials. And I was like just sitting in front of the toilet, um, using it as a table, like making my work and just kind of thinking about uh, privilege at the same time and you know how privileged people are to have a big studio space and to be able to walk in there and me never really having access to it um, you know but I, I made the work and I you know it's a really early conversation that I'm having with privilege but I feel that like with you know everything that's going on right now and how tumultuous it is it's a very important conversation that we should have been having you know a long time ago so um, I don't know if the works allude to privilege without having the context of me making it in the bathroom or like the title, but um, I, I really hope that the viewers begin to see that and, you know, start to question their own privilege and, and how they're using it. In the Praying to the Porcelain God, I noticed that you kind of continue some of your themes of flowers and hair. By the way, is it real hair? No, scared. no, it's not real hair. <laughs> real hair is really expensive. Um, it's all it's all synthetic hair. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. worries. Um, when I first started out in my art career, uh, a, a long time, long time ago, um, I was working with themes of grief and sadness, and you know, we're really working through this thing. Um, I just lost my father, so it was like you know, art was kind of this catharsis for me to work through these things. I think art can. Can, can be that for a lot of people. Um, and, I, and so I think that's where the flowers came from because I was always interested in, you know, the use of putting like, specifically speaking, plastic flowers, um, not real flowers, um, just because they have this longevity, they're plastic, you know, and we put them on the graves of deceased people who are dying and decaying. And then we put this symbol of like, I guess immortality somehow on top of it. Um, but I really liked that you know, hybridization of like living and dead at the same time. Um, So that's how I got into the use of flowers. And speaking to the use of hair, 
I would always try to, in, I think a lot of the work is like self-referential. I think it's a lot about my identity and my struggles with, am I, you know, I'm, I'm half Italian, half Puerto Rican. Am I a person of color? I'm very white passing, you know, and I've always struggled with that part of my identity because I've never been, you know, white enough to hang out with the white girls or, you know, brown enough to hang out with the brown girls. So it's like, you know, I found myself in this kind of just sticky situation. So the hair became a symbol of like identity, like my identity uh, in the hair, even though the hair is um, a lot of different colors. I just enjoy using the, the different tones of hair, but more recently I've been using brown hair to reference myself a little bit more. So, yeah, I think that answered your question, right. I hope. Yeah. Um, there was a really nice piece, I think it was installation, and it was at the MFA, um, the hair pillars. Oh, I thought those were real fun. Yeah. Um, what, what were you trying to express with that or the question you were giving your viewers? Yeah, I think it was, you know, I was really struggling at that. I was just really struggling the whole time throughout grad school because, um, you know, in grad school, we're supposed to like place our work in like a theory or a philosophical, you know, place. And it's, or like contextualize our work in that, in that sort of way. And, you know, I was reading all of this stuff from uh, just white dudes, white dudes and white dudes and, you know, uh, Borges and like all these other white philosophers. And like, tr I, I was like trying so hard to stick those meanings to my work and the work was just falling flat. It wasn't until I started reading, um, you know, Rebecca Solnit and kind of diving into that world of, you know, feminism. And then, uh, you know, I, I found uh, Roxane Gay, who really helped me kind of figure out and place myself in the world. Um, and so I think the hair pillars are kind of a testament to that. I've had a long time to think about them. And, you know, when I was making them at the time, honestly, I had really no idea what I was doing. Um, but now that I've had time to kind of like, you know, parse it apart, um, I think that they're just really symbolic of this like, struggle that you know women have to go through especially with you know figuring out who we are what we do what defines us as women and you know putting that braid of hair into the concrete um was just really impactful for me but it be it became more impactful over time because you know the hair pillars are made out of mortar and hair and um i have some actually out in my yard and they're kind of degrading a little bit but the hair is so insistent and insidious in it, it just kind of keeps wrapping around it and is actually cracking the mortar. So I just really, I really wish like at the time I could have had the forethought to see like what these pieces have become because they become a testament to like, you know, the strength of women, like just to put it quite simply. Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I would have never thought that hair would have made the mortar break. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, you know, I, I get it all the time from my partner because, you know, I, I'll brush my hair in the living room or I'll brush my hair anywhere and there's just like mass amounts of hair everywhere. And I just like how it, I don't know what I'm trying to say with this, but I just like how that hair is always creeping around. It's just always present. Um, and it's kind of like a weird comforting feeling to know that, you know, it's, it's always there. It's a piece of me and kind of gives me this weird strength in a way. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. And having the hair represent you and your strength and your strength is like 
breaking down something that's basically man-made. Yeah. Kind of mm, yeah. makes yeah. The, a, a, a light bulb go off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks. So I also noticed that you are involved with Art in Place. Well, yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah. It, it's the, um, the Art in Place, the, the Terrain Biennial Exhibition, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, um, that was just kind of like a happenstance proposal that I, I had submitted um, during quarantine. Um, and, you know, it was uh, it was an application for artists around the country to uh, submit artwork displayed outside of their home during quarantine so people still had a chance to, like, experience artwork. So I was like, it was kind of like a fly-by-night application. I was like, my friend sent it to me. I applied for it. I was like, this is really cool. And it turned out that, like, over 500 artists like around the country like applied to it so you know there's all of these beautiful pieces of artwork um connected by this one thing that people can go out in the, in their communities around the country i don't know how many states it's in but i know over 500 artists participated in it and i think that that's just really cool how artists can come together to create just something that you know brings people together like across barriers across con across you know this country and um yeah it was just kind of like a fly-by-night application that actually turned into this you know big thing like terrain uh, biennial biennial and i think it's called the cnl projects um didn't expect this kind of turnout either so it's just like this really nice community building situation and shows the impact that that uh artists can have on society and you know i let me try to figure out a way to say this, but I, I struggle with uh, being an artist in a lot of ways because, you know, through this, I'm really glad you asked me this question, through this, um, through being on this uh, show with these artists across the country, um, I just kind of wish there was some kind of other community aspect proponent to it where, you know, we had to interact with the community in some ways because I think artists have that privilege to interact with the communities in different ways. I don't think they use it a lot of the time. You know, we get these grants and we get these things to, and I, I'm, I'm totally advocating for artists to get paid and make money from that because that is like, you know, it's my job to do that and that's, artists should be allowed to do that. But I just wish that artists would use more of that to work within the community that they're in and i think that that's happening now um unfortunately like really late in the game but it's it's happening and, and you know i see it and you know they can do it simply as like donating their money to a local organization or in their community and just like yeah so I, i'm really glad you asked me that question because artists have the capacity you know, through this art exhibit to change communities. And I, I just hope that, you know, through this, you know, civil rights movement and everything that's happening, that artists start to see that they can have an impact. You know, painting Black Lives Matters on the streets is amazing, but also using those resources to enact um, systematic change in the community is also like something that artists have the privilege to do. You know, we're not beholden to any, there's no rules or rhymes to be an artist. So like, we can really like, use the you, you know use the experimentation that we're taught to use um in different ways in the community so yeah yeah thank you for asking me that no problem um thank you for answering <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that yeah uh, so 
do you know where your work was displayed? Like in every, like how many states you actually reached or, or is it still in the process? Uh, well, the show is still up. Um, and it's at the, the artwork is just hanging on the side of my house. I don't know how many people have come and seen it. Um, but I know that they have like a website up and you can like see all the artists and artwork from like all across the country, which is really cool. Yeah, I think I was confused at oh, where I'm sorry. it was being displayed. No, I mean, I'm sorry in my about research, that. that was me. No, 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 no. Yeah, so yes. all the artwork, um, and I totally miss saying that, all the artwork is displayed, like, around the artist's home. So, um, you know, there's art, like, I have mine hanging on a, we have, like, stairs in the back, like, wooden stairs, and I have a print, like, hanging up um, off of that. And some other artists display things in their windows, on their front lawns, like, in their driveway. Um, on balconies like this. Um, so yeah, it's like an outdoor art exhibition for everyone to enjoy. Nice. Yeah. And you said you did a, a print? Yeah, it was a print that I did a long time ago that I, I felt was really relevant today. Um, I actually made it in undergrad. Um, I was just being weird in undergrad and I, uh, you know, rubbed my face and my face oils on a, a scanner in the print lab. And I took a bunch of like scans of that and this is when I was still uh, researching death and, and, and immortality and living forever. And so I thought a good way to do that would be to like capture my oils on this piece of, uh, on this uh, scanner, scan it, print it out. Um, so I actually had one of the prints printed on vinyl and like hung it outside of my house. And I feel like, you know, I think some of my work is like, why am I making this? And then years later, I'm like, oh, it, it makes sense now. Um, and so I think that this work is like an attempt for me to kind of like live forever. And, you know, we're all struggling with mortality in different ways right now, which is really heartbreaking to me. Um, but yeah, I think it's just an attempt to, to make a mark and just to live forever. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I do think that a lot of people are trying to not feel so mortal. Yes especially when other people can take your life. It's kind of a, a struggle. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, did you participate in the Juneteenth celebration? Uh, in, in That happened uh, in Portland? No, I actually the, didn't. I wasn't sure you were promoting it a lot. Yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah. maybe you had a table or... Yeah. No, I didn't. I, I kind of helped set it up a little bit. Um, oh. I'm on the art the artistic art board i don't know what it's the proper name for it is but uh, friends of congress square park has this uh group uh, and i'm a part of it and you know where we choose like the the artists and how we can better promote the square and you know what we can do um, to support the community through uh, uh events in the square um and so that's how that came about so unfortunately i wasn't able to attend but um i kind of helped like uh, set it up and um, I haven't met Athena. Athena Lynch was the person that um, kind of got the whole thing going um, but uh, I know she was running a lot of the stuff there. So. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's great. You're on the board for Congress Square Park. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Just another like feather in your cap. I love it. No yeah. way. That's great. Yeah. Oh. Thank You're you. You're modest. Yes. <laughs> So you were also an art coordinator at Bomb Diggity Arts? Yeah. Yeah. 
has that been exciting? Of course it has, but tell yes. me more about it. Yeah, that's been a real big turnaround in my life as an artist. Um, when I graduated grad school, I was kind of just like, I wasn't kind of, but I was teaching at uh, two colleges and teaching just didn't suit me. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, as a, as a college professor, I think you're told to be very neutral in situations and it just wasn't very easy for me to be neutral. So I had to leave that uh, job. So, um, but then one of my friends was like, you know, there's a position open at Bomb Diggity Arts, which is a day program for adults with intellectual disabilities and autism. And I was like, okay, you know, I've never worked with individuals like that before, but you know, honest, to be honest, I thought it was going to be a job where it's going to be at it for a couple months and then I was going to move on. And I am in my fourth year there now, um, supporting adults with intellectual disabilities. And it has impacted and changed my work in so many ways. Um, it, I, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but I don't think I was aware of the dis disability community that we have and it just opened my eyes to a new community that I could support through my work through the arts with it and it just became so exciting and I learned so much working there. Um, you know we do such things, we not only do such things as you know life skills, we help people with you know um, budgeting, uh, wellness, yoga, tai chi, we integrate people into the community through volunteering, but we also support artists. We have an art gallery and we integrate artists into the larger art community, not as artists with disabilities, but as artists. And I think that that's really important to include, to be inclusive to everybody and to include everybody um, You know, in this art world. There's so many times that I go into a gallery and you know, my mind is, I, I want my mind to be, you know, I guess I, I just, I really want different points of view. And this brings me back to, you know, going to grad school and just seeing that one point of view and kind of almost having blinders on. And I guess in a way, working up on Diggity Arts and, and working uh, with different organizations in the community kind of like took those blinders off and showed me how many different people are in the community. I mean, I'm, I'm 37 years old and I feel like I've been robbed of like an education of like uh, learning about Juneteenth, learning about different communities, learning about the disabled community. And, you know, that's kind of on me too. Like I didn't need to be, you know, ignorant until however old I am now, um, the resources were out there. there. There were things out there for me. And, you know, I just either wasn't given them or I didn't access them. And like now the past, I would say like the past five or six years, I've really delved into, you know, um, the black community, the um, disabled community, and really found ways to support and help people through working in the arts. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely a guilty party when it comes to not acknowledging the yeah. uh, community that suffers disabilities or deals with disabilities. I'm not even sure how to say that yeah. politically correctly. Yeah. Like, yeah, you got it though. Okay, good, good. Because um, I don't want it to come off that they are themselves incapable of doing things. Because they are capable. Yeah. Um, but it's just, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, go. sorry, no, sorry. No, no. This is about you. Um, <laughs> uh, just to, to piggyback off that, because I think you brought up a really good point. Um, 
anybody's like capable of doing anything you know it's just about putting it in front of them and starting that conversation you know I'm I'll just tell a quick story and then I'll let you get back to it um you know I'm having a really hard time right now with um, educating people on systematic racism on white supremacy and like you know people you know people are telling me like you know you can't start with those words you can't start with anti-racist you can't start with white supremacy and it's like if you don't put these phrases or words in front of people and define them, then how are they supposed to know what it is when they experience it or when they see it? And, you know, it's the same with working with the disability community and, and people for so long are like, you know, I'll do that for you. Oh no, let me do this for you. And it's like, no, like these people have the capacity to do that. They just have to be given the tools just like anybody else. So I just wanted to say that. No, that was great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, and always expand on any topic. Thanks. Yes, please. I did not mean to interrupt you. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. Interrupt. It's totally fine. Yeah. Um, so that, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Again. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so have you had to explore more into the Latinx community? Or, okay. Please expand on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, like I was saying before, it's been a real struggle for me. Um, I... I still, to this day, um, can't be sure if, like, you know, even that I can define myself as a person of color, as a Latinx person, just because of, like, my upbringing. Um, our, like I said, I'm Italian and Puerto Rican, and my family was, my family was um, really bent on, um, I'm sure they're going to listen to this, and just, <laughs> my family was really bent on uh, instilling the Italian side of me into it so I really wasn't exposed that much to the Puerto Rican side of my family um, like I said I lost my father when I was around when I was in my 20s and so growing up with him uh, was great but I never met any of his Puerto Rican brothers I never met his Puerto Rican grandma his, his mother or his side of the family it was always you know, my mother's side of the family and um, you know that that's still a little hard to to wrestle with because you know I I, I, I just feel like I'm a constant imposter in my own body sometimes and like it's just a really weird feeling it's just a really weird feeling to have so you know when I first moved here I, I necessarily wasn't looking into the Latinx community um, I am slowly getting into that now because I'm slowly starting to you know delve into my own identity as a Puerto Rican woman and you know into the Latinx community so yeah, I don't really have too much to say about it, except for I, I really hope to find a, a community I could be a part of. Um, not that I'm not a part of a community, because I am a working artist in Maine, so I feel like I am that a part of a community, but I don't have anybody to commiserate with. Like I, I, I would like some to talk to some you know, Latinx people about these feelings and about feeling like this, because I feel that they could have some really good feedback for me on like things I'm struggling with I just haven't found a commonality I guess is what I'm saying um, with any artists or anything like that in the state of Maine so but slowly there is you know there are places you know there's uh, Pendeja Studios um, and there's other places that are that are popping up now that I'm hoping to investigate more so, so is Pendeja Studios I thought it was more of clothing so it's actually a place where people are making art 
I believe so. Like I said, I haven't really been in contact uh, with the person that runs it, um, except for like, (laughs) except for like buying clothes. Um, But I believe that she does run. uh, I believe that she does make her own art as well. So yeah, yeah, great, yeah. Well, um, I look forward to you exploring that and some other opportunities that might pop up. You never know. Yeah. So, I thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. So you were no longer an instructor at SMCC then? No. Okay. No. Nice. <laughs> um, you do a lot of, or you have written for Black Girl in Maine yeah. Media. Um, I read a couple of your articles and I really like that you are to the point, but then you also say, well, maybe I'm being a little too harsh. So it, it, it makes it more palatable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so that is appreciated, I'm sure, for, I didn't need it, but for some people, I'm sure when they read that, they're like, oh, okay, yes, yes, yes. Like their fragility is, is um, I can't think of the word, but. Protected. Protected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So have you, um, what has it been like writing these articles and being very political um, and living in Maine? It's been really impactful. Um, I wrote for Black Girl in Maine for a couple of years, um, but I kind of pulled back from that only because I'm not black. Like I, I felt like, you know, and I, I love what Shay does and I love her writing and I love the impact that she's had on the communities in Maine. Um, but I felt that I needed to give up my voice um, so that black authors could, could and you know what they're feeling and what they're thinking because like you said I would always put in there like I'm so angry about this but maybe I shouldn't be and it's like well I uh, at that time I did have you know white people's feelings in mind and you know I wanted them to be comfortable like reading this stuff and it's like well did I really was I just I, I don't know like I I kind of felt like I was doing people a disservice by putting some stuff like that in there. Um, and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. That's not the point of my anti-racist work or the work that I'm doing in the community. The point of it is to educate people. But when you're shouting into a void for so long, you know, when you're continuously shouting and struggling and shouting and struggling and people aren't listening, um, it's like, I'm, I'm not going to censor myself anymore. It's not, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, and I'm not trying to be crass. I'm not trying to be, you know, cold hearted, but like, you know, like with this, with the civil rights movement that's happening right now, that should have happened a long time ago. You know, people are like, why are people looting? Why are people doing this? And it's like, well, y'all aren't listening to anything else. So what are people supposed to do? Like, it's like, you're at the end of a rope and I, white people can't see that. So, and I just think that, yeah, I think everything's being really forceful. I think people are being angry, but I think that personally to me, at least it's time to do that. So like, I I do appreciate that I kind of pulled back in those articles a little bit, but at the same time, like I, there was always that underlying thing of like, should I just delete that sentence or like, you know, take that out fully. But um, yeah, I guess that's my little, my little spiel on, on working for uh, Black Girl in Maine, but yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And of course, I think hindsight is twenty twenty, and you always have to be like respectful of yourself at that moment because we evolve. Mm-hmm. 
thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. We're not stuck in cement. We yes. are constantly evolving. Yeah. 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 Just so. like the hair in the cement is yeah. constantly like pulling through. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so one of your, just to kind of tie it back to some of the amazing artwork that you create, um, this is kind of like a, it's the middle of your professional career piece, the ritual trauma almost looks like a piece of wood kind of that has like this tar black stuff on it and then it has something that is also black and almost stringy but not stringy extending from it and the other piece in it is like the door yes oh, okay yes, okay yes. Cool. so it felt to me like it was like spirits rising from the ground mm. um but other than that I, what were you what were you trying to say what were you working through i think i was working i think this was at the time where i was working still with the ideas of um, mortality and uh, working through you know the death of my father and stuff like that um, and I, I love that you described it as spirits rising from the ground um, because it was supposed to just be this those three sculptures in particular were supposed to be like the passageway to this you know metaphysical space that enabled you to like live forever and like that black doorway was that entrance to like that 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 place that we hope but that we can that place that we hope we can live forever but like it doesn't really exist so like all of those just become like little hopeful sculpture sculptures I guess in, in a way to you know back to the piece that I did that's hanging from my my house it just became an attempt to like leave a mark to uh live forever so what's the plug Veronica how can people hire you find you well, my number is, no. Um, yeah. uh, Instagram is really the best way. Uh, my Instagram handle is Veronica underscore A underscore Perez. Um, and then my website is Veronica A Perez. Um, and that's how you can get in touch with me. And thank you for listening to In the Pocket with our guest, Veronica Perez. You are listening to WMPG 90.9 Southern Maine Community Radio.